Ah, how good it feels to be back on the mic. You already know what it is. It's your favorite baritone back in the cut with another episode of home. I miss you guys. I have myself to blame. It's been a minute. I've really just been doing this work shit. As far as I can say now, the nine to five is, I see why the illusion stands up the test of time. Office culture is not bad. The cubicle life, as hard as you have to work to actually get a challenge out of yourself. I can't really say there's anything really bad about it. Except for the fact, if you want more for yourself, you got to go get it. You know, the world doesn't reward people who don't try for what they want. But anyways, as I said before, this is OM. And if you're new to the channel, this is a podcast talking about ultimately finding self-fulfillment and emphasizing the fact of critical thinking by diving into whatever interesting topics that I see are causing a lot of buzz in the world lately so before we get into this disclaimer if you are the one to have a short fuse or you feel very strongly about this subject that i'm about to talk about feel free i'm gonna leave my email in the description i can even tell you right now what it is email me at podcast.om at gmail.com if you felt strongly about the subject that i'm about to share with you all and let me know your thoughts, because the only way I see it is that I'm no politician. I'm no philosopher. I've only been on this earth 20 years. So there's a good chance that I could be wrong about a lot of the stuff that I talk about. This is just based on my research and some well thought out opinions that I had after a couple conversations with some friends. But lo and behold, to give you a little preface, this subject came to me about a month ago. During the heat of the Israel-Palestine conflict, you know, usual groundbreaking crisis events that go on in the world that are more everyday than most of us might think, but the advent of social media always puts it in front of our faces. I was just observing how, observing the situation in the Middle East, I was observing Israel's actions, Palestine's actions, and then ultimately the retaliation on our side of the pond over here in America about that hundred year long tension regarding the claim of that land in the Middle East. Many people have strong feelings about the main attention today is that I really want to talk about how us as people, I know us as people outside of the conflict. I know many people have family of both descents, Israeli or you're of Jewish descent, or you're a Palestinian and have Palestinian descent, or just another Arabic person, a Muslim person who feels strongly on the subject. This is in no way a podcast where I'm going to sit here and tell you my facts and why I think, you know, this person's right or that other person's right. Like, they're in the world today, I believe that things are a little bit more gray area than black and white, and including the once you take the time to include the perspectives of, you know, people from different walks of life, you will inevitably see that they had a reason for the, their actions. While from your perspective, you came to a different answer, they just as well came to their own. So I really wanted to talk about the 
social media response and how we can move forward when events like this or other divisive issues within our world, within our country, within our communities takes place that hopefully we can use social media in a more healthy manner. To give you an explanation, this is really inspired by the social media activism that I saw pertaining to the Israel-Palestine conflict over the Gaza Strip. I can sit here and say, like, I didn't like what I see, but mostly because if any of you guys are following me, you know, you might be a tech kid. You might be just someone who is inspired and enjoys learning about technology. You already know how the algorithm works. I'm tired of hearing myself talk about the damn algorithm. This shit, I can talk all day long about this. For some unknown reason, I say I hate it, but yet I still use it so that I can communicate with you guys about the newest updates or share you that one photo I got a year about my life. But we all have our feeds, no matter how long you've, well, unless you just started today. Most of our feeds are at this point, as long as you've had your Instagram for about like three to six months. All our feeds are now curated towards the interests that we have, the things that we agree with, because we're, we're just the type of people that like hearing the things that we like to hear. And we're typically more inclined to follow with the things that we like to hear. So in turn, when we see something that we disagree with on social media and we can attest to the online culture that developed through, you know, AOL, chat rooms, online gaming. We're immediately predisposed to bash that opinion. And in a situation like this where millions of lives are affected, countries are affected, borders are affected, and the livelihood of people that we see every day in the melting pot of America are swayed whether it's their, it's their viewpoint of America or the viewpoint of simply the people around them because of what they believe in to a point where we will talk about if you're not, if you don't agree with my perspective, like you might as well be a heinous criminal or you're not here for humanity. I just don't think that's right because like I said before, you know, there's, so many different ways of looking at situations like this. To point it out, or to just give a brief explanation for people that don't know the whole Israel-Palestine conflict. This is all a... It's not so much a, as much of a religious battle as it is said to be in the Bible. Yes, there's been conflict going on in the Middle East for a long time, even in the Bible ages. Yes, Israelites have fought and lost their land and sought for it again. But at this point, there are so many other parties involved that the, religi the religious aspect of it is diluted due to the fact that many of the other countries involved no longer or don't predominantly 
think of this from a religious aspect. And it's more of an issue of ownership. So to explain what I mean, let's start back in the 19th century. So the year is 1878, boom, bang, pow. We hopping on model T's. Palestine at that time, 87% Muslim, 10% Christian, 3% Jewish. Yeah, Arabic was the main language at the time. And the faiths were peaceful with each other. You know, everybody sought to get along, even though Jewish were a minority in there. But they sought to have a sense of ownership, a sense of nationalism, a place that they could call their own their, to get their nation of Israel back. And this is back in the imperialistic times. So UK is in control of the, that land over that time. And they, they announced the Balfour Declaration, which basically promises the establishment of a national home for Jews in Palestine. And that immediately gains Jewish support. Everybody's for it because this is exactly what they wanted. Well, they also had promised the same piece of land or the division of that land to the French of those Arab ter territories. And the British, the British would be allowed to keep Palestine. So this mismatch of communication obviously divided the main form of communication between the Arabic people, the Jewish people, and the French. We don't know how they got in that, but, you know, they were there. And after that, 1920 comes between the periods of 1920 and 18, 1939, 320,000 Jews immigrated to Palestine. And their methods of moving into the land consisted of purchasing land from non-Arab or non-Palestinian Arabs and evicting Palestinian farmers of, in the land to have a system where they could, a self-sustainable system of land and labor. Because back in those times, there was tech, not big tech, but you had to live sometime. And agriculture was the name of the game. Agriculture and real estate. You know, these are back in the days of Francis Ferdinand, World War I. And 1936, they, they saw the massive rise of the Jewish population, which was about just under 30% at that time. And... Palestinian sense of nationalism started to occur. And at the time, British still ruled that land. They just had uh, not separated, but given the Israelites, the Jewish people, more land within Palestine. While the Palestinians themselves also wanted a territory to call their own, because at this time, Palestine was all UK controlled land. They wanted to govern themselves. As we see, they went Boston Tea Party on it, just like we did back in the good old days. Revolted against the UK, which back then, the UK was still number two. Their plans, the Palestinians' plans were thwarted, and the Jews aided them. Therefore, because of all of this commotion, UK told them, you know, things are peaceful, they're all good, until you guys revolted, so we're going to take away your privileges. We're going to limit immigration. And we're going to give both of you guys a joint state to share, which both people, their own sense of nationalist pride eventually came into clash. World War One happened, bing, bang, boom. And this is where shit starts to get real because 
Palestine is no longer under the or the UK imperialistic rule, but is handed to the UN to decide its fate. So the fate of the conglomerate of countries, including the US, the EU, and well, it was pre-Brexit, so the UK as well. They were Palestine into Israel and Palestinian states. And because of that, this is not exactly the resolution the Palestinians wanted. War erupts, and the Israelites ultimately win. They got a good amount of support with the Americans, us, over here across the pond. And about a third of the land is given to Israelite as a result of winning the war, which is a third more than the UN had proposed. People are mad. They're throwing chairs, saying, yo, fuck you. We're going to go into another war. So 1967, 20 years later, Israel takes over that land again. Takes over a large majority of the country, Palestine. And the U.S. is like, or not the U.S., but the U.N. is like, whoa, chill out. We didn't expect this to happen. We don't need any more disputes over land and ownership or dictatorships out here. So the Resolution 242 is passed, forces Israel to withdraw from its acquired land, and recognizes the two separate states of Israel and Palestine as their own countries. Uh, they also make, they're trying to make the capital, Jerusalem, a international city, which means that both Palestine and Israel would share Jerusalem. So, and a, also a huge source of religious, sacred monuments and practices were housed in Jerusalem. So it was a hot piece of land. Uh, eventually, the Israelites take over East Jerusalem, or they take East Jerusalem, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip, which are the bordering, bordering and middle regions. Gaza Strip is basically the strip that separates Israel and Palestine and Jerusalem and beyond. So as a result of Resolution 242, Israel withdraws from the land required and brings about, or at least the tension that's brought about from Israel losing land that they obviously won, brings about the first Antifada, which is basically a, a conflict period, protesting period, violent protesting period at that, where you could say sub-Civil War level conflicts were happening between Israel and the Palestinian Israelites and the Palestinians. This also resulted in Hamas, if anybody knows what Hamas is. Hamas is the half philanthropic and humanitarian, half terrorist organization, however you see it, you know, dedicated to the Palestinian efforts of raising their state of being, raising that sense of nationalism, and ultimately getting the land that they so feel is rightly deserved. At that time, Israelites have East Jerusalem, they have West Bank, and they have the Gaza Strip, which technically under UN law is illegal to have. Israelites' reasoning is that Palestine is not a state. Due to that, 
Ariel Sharon, which is the prime minister at the time, sends 1,000 armed guards to the Temple Mount in Old Jerusalem, signaling the second intifada, which is more violent than the first. It's starting to formulate the current conflict that is going on that we see nowadays. Due to the second intifada, Israel decides to make a wall dividing West Bank, showing where Israelites stay and where or where the Israelite country starts and where the Palestinian country starts. And this is currently the land that slowly Israel has tried to chip away from Palestine, where we stand now. In recent news, or not so recent, you know, everyone's favorite president, haha, Donald J. Trump, comes in there and declares Jerusalem as Israel's land, which caused a lot of confusion with people. Not in that region of the world. They mostly thought that was a very ill-intentioned move by him and not very well thought out because of the public response to it. And he had also decided to move the embassy of the U.S. from Jerusalem or to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv, which was the old capital of Israel, to emphasize the fact that we as American or our government had seen Jerusalem as Israel's land. So bringing the subject all back home. Ultimately, both sides sought for a sense of ownership in the land that they had. You know, you had two different ethnicities or two different groups of people distinctly differentiated by their religious beliefs. I can't talk too much about the ethnicity of it because these are people coming from the same region. While after the Balfour Declaration, Many more Jewish people from Europe and France, or many more Jewish people from Europe, started immigrating over to that land that they would call their home. They still had to share it with a group of Jewish and Muslim people that had been integrated and lived together for hundreds of years. Not necessarily sharing the same, you know, perspective of life, but sharing that same religious belief. And their one shared belief that that land is theirs, denoted by God to them, I wouldn't say led them to the point of fighting war for it, but more of a prejudice and stronger sense of confidence, knowing that they had more support, more bigger, stronger support than the Palestinians. From my research, I didn't see many other large countries other than Arabic countries that supported the Palestinians during that time. But they all wanted the same thing. I mean, I ask myself all the time, sometimes why can't we share? But I ask us, sometimes why can't we share? And as the narrative goes in our society today, it's really easy to stand side with the victims. You know, you see murder of innocent people 
all over CNN, all over whichever news feed you, you watch, you listen to, you read, you see kidnappings, bombing. And from this side, and this side being the U.S., we all see it as needless war. Like, why do people still not get along with each other? But then on the other hand, you keep it in mind that history is written by the winners. In the case between the Six Days Wars and the UN Resolution 242, you can see that the Palestinians had obviously lost their land in a fair, well, I can't say fair battle, but in battle they had lost their land. Just Just based off that simple fact, the power and the, ultimately the decisions that were made were predominantly made by the Israelite government, which dictated a lot of our history. And if you want to bring it back into like U.S. terms, big corporations and uh, politics, political leaders, they make a lot of decisions that govern our everyday lives. And we think of them as the big bullies because, you know, they make all our lives harder, but they know what they wanted. They sought out, did it. By whatever means possible, fair or unfair, you know, I can't make any judgments on it. With that said, you know, I do want to stand by Palestine. Even as a Christian man who's to believe that the Jews had the first rite of passage to being saved by the Lord, it doesn't mean that they weren't flawed in character. You know, the Bible says thou shalt not kill. But yet, we had to go through wars at times to, as it, or the Israels had to go through wars at times to protect the land of Israel and to eventually keep the land. And that sometimes we lost the land because we had lost faith in God. But, you know, to get out of the religious aspect of it, I sort of thought that Israel relied a lot on the support of foreign nations, stronger foreign nations, to get what they wanted. Who knows what was said in those meeting rooms at that time? It doesn't really matter at this point to know. But now in our revolutionized age where we as people have a voice, or we as common people have a voice. It's important to know how to use that voice in order to effectively make the change that we want. During the time where Israel, like during the height of the media's coverage of the Palestinian-Israel conflict, I saw, I'd seen a stat saying over 100... In 93, reports of anti-Semitic events in the week of May 21st had happened in the U.S. alone. And that's a stat reported by the Anti-Defamation League. The week before that, there were 131 previous anti-Semitic events. I believe, and this is just my perspective, that, you know, we all strongly have ties to our homelands, where we came from, or the homelands of our parents and their parents. But the one 
thing that America presents, as flawed as it is, this is a place where conversations between these two opposing sides, whichever it could be, black, white, Palestinian, Israelite, can be settled in a much more civilized manner. We're not in the times of, especially here, and being in a place like I'm still out here in Utah, I'm starting to see more, even like working in the office and stuff like that. The battles aren't fought with weapons anymore. The battles are fought mentally, technologically. And a great place to show the real effects of sitting down and having constructive conversations at a table is here. And I don't know if that makes sense, but I've started to see that this is one thing that America is presents or one thing that America presents that is unique compared to many other countries in the world is the ability to bring different groups of people on opposing sides into a same room together. And it's what we decide to do once you're in that room that affects how the how we as people respond to the situation, whether it becomes a divisive event or a response that can help find solutions to what is going on overseas. Though it's not our battle, it is smart to understand that America has sway on the world and the events that go on in it. And how we see this these events is technically how the U.S. wants to market those events to us. So it's not bare facts information. You know, getting bits and pieces from the news and then getting bits and pieces from family that are experiencing these events or people that have experienced these events are two different sources of information. I know everybody at one point in time was in history class in elementary school. We got primary and secondary sources. Primary stands the test of time. Secondary, not so much. It's more journalism, what people had to say about those events in time. What we get on the news, secondary info. Unless it's an eyewitness telling us what happened, someone who's sitting in the meeting room, secondary info. And then when that gets brought to us on our feed, hell yeah. That's everybody's opinion slapped into a caption of like, what, 200 characters or less? I think that's Twitter. It just disturbs me to see when people, highly intelligible people, can sit there and lose the chance of showing what we, I guess we let our emotions get the best of us at times. And I can be, you know, I'm a suspect of it too at times, that we can sit there and let the chance leave us to have a truly growth-focused conversation, healthy conversation on the subjects that are pertinent to our lives, that are pressing in our lives. And I didn't just sit here to come and bash people. You know, we all make mistakes. It happens. I'm just here to show at least a healthier way of doing things especially on a place of social media, because it's a great place to go. As much as I hate on it, it's a great place to share information, to raise awareness, and get your 
message on a higher platform than it would be if we still had brick telephones and pagers. So here I'll list 10 rules or 10 things I've seen and picked up that I think will lead to a better dialogue within your social media activism. Rule number one, if you only have one story to share about like one Instagram or Twitter story to share while this thing is happening, while said conflict is going on, or, you know, you see everybody sharing the same posts about a certain issue, certain event that is going on, and you only have one post to say about it, and I don't see you after a week after doing it, really, think about, do you really support this opinion, or you just want people to know that you're not trying to upset them? You can only go so long without upsetting people. At the end of the day, you can't make everybody happy. It's something that I'm learning to this day. But I would rather have people that disagree with me than people that call me fake. That's just a simple point of it. I would at least like to know that I stayed 100% true to my ideals and morals especially on issues like that. And if I do have an opposing view to what I see on my algorithm, to have a conversation about it. And then to the people who do get questions or comments from people who have opposing views, then the, to take a moment to step outside yourself and see a person trying to be vulnerable and understand the subject from a different, from your point of view, how you see it, and take your time with them. Because you can also grow from this instance as well. They're not the only person that needs to learn. I'm not the only person that needs to learn. We, you know, every day you is a growing process. As we get older, I don't care if you're a fetus. I don't care if you're a toddler. I don't care if you're my age at 21. I don't care if you're 72, goddamn 47. We can all learn. It's all right. I might go on this another day, but I don't really think the word smart accurately describes intelligence in our day and age. In a place where, or in a time where you can access any and every piece of information at any moment at the palm of, at the palm of your hand at that smart just doesn't describe i think smart only describes like knowledge how much knowledge you know and how much bullshit that you can spew out from the top of your head and you memorized it cool it's stuck with you and you, you have these skills down packed with just about anybody with a certain amount of determination and Minimal education can understand these concepts or the concepts that you speak of. So the real quote unquote smart thing to do is to be intelligent about the situations you're in and how to handle them and knowing psychologically human behavior in certain conversations, 
certain events, understanding, trying to empathize with people and knowing why people feel a certain way about what's going on and then formulate a response in a way that they can understand what you're saying. Because I guess one thing I've learned while I've been in this hyperbolic Utah time chamber is we all we might speak the same language, but we all don't speak the same language. You feel me? On that point. Next, next one. Be honest and transparent. I think this is a this is a follow up to the first point that I made, but. Nobody likes fake people. If you want to be a Barbie doll, go to California. It's all cool there. I can put a smile on my face. Talk hella shit about you the next minute. Or you could go down south to good old Atlanta. Do all that. But if you're really trying to talk about changing the world and making it a better place, utilizing all this innovation we have for the good and how much that it has improved our lives, especially as citizens of a first world country, you know, you got to own up to your mistakes. Jobs made mistakes. LeBron made mistakes. Goddamn Kobe made mistakes. And he would say that he was wrong to them. Even your favorite companies make mistakes. Now, I don't know as if to what extent they're transparent and saying in coming up and telling their customers and fans of them. But at some level, they understand they've stepped up where it really counted, where it really mattered and to teach people a valuable lesson in life. So when you're out there on the social medias, you know, don't fake that you're a part of the group and fake the past that you had where You clearly didn't demonstrate beliefs that were part of the group. The internet will find you. A watchdog will find you. Not even a watchdog. My little brother can find you on the internet talking shit. It's easy now. All you got to do is ask a guy that knows a guy. Computer software guys are wizards. That's all you need to know. Next point. Have a clear stance. And when I say that, Do you really hate all those people because of what they did? Or do you hate that specific group? Because even said that, because let's say, for example, BLM. You could say, you know, you hate all whitewashed black people that are sucking up to a white regime or that say, you know, blue lives matter. But if you hadn't known that information prior to that, you might think that's a good person. Understand that people have different perspectives, but that doesn't then correlate to them treating you differently as a person, especially when you have a surface level relationship. It takes really, especially on topics like that, I think because of the way things are in the world now, people are really less inclined to talk about what they really and truly believe in. You have to actually be that person's friend. And then when your heart ends up broken because you're like, yo, 
I didn't know you were this type of person. You know, how could you be like this? You feel berated, you feel betrayed, but that first person also feels very un misunderstood. Now, there's a clear, there's a difference between, you know, all blacks must die and blue lives matter. And that's something it, it took coming to Utah to really understand. Being from Atlanta, where a lot of the brutality and the coverage of Black Lives Matter is all in your face. And coming from New York, where cops are pigs, and, uh, you know, it's very hard to, I honestly felt, it was hard to define my relationship. Even my best friend's dad is a cop. Other than him, it was kind of hard to, you know, it was one of those times if you ever had to be around a cop, I felt that little sense of uneasiness. Did I let it deter me from living my everyday life? Not so much, but it was always a thought that was in the back of my head. And then I came to Utah and I see the Blue Lives Matter flags. I see Blue Lives Matter stickers. And it took me realizing that in a place where, and this could just be because of the LDS guarding their territory, their holy land, that because crime is not so upfront in your face here, I, I barely see cops around here. I barely even see cops on the highway trying to give out tickets. I could probably count on the number on my hand, on one hand, how many times I've seen people pulled over. And I guess that comfort that people have over here being around cops, the cops are genuinely quite laid back unless they have serious issues. And I've seen, from what I've heard out here, you know, you have unsolved murder mysteries, kidnappings, like the real deal. I thought Atlanta was crazy, but shit goes down on in big UT, man. But there's two sides to the story. So when I say have a clear stance, understand the other, other side of the story before you just show your stance. It's too easy to see one side on Instagram. And it helps because most likely your followers will see a, a side of Instagram as well. Probably coexist with yours. And to see something quite different than what they always see might get disgruntled a little bit. You might face a mean comment or two. But what the hell, man? That's the internet. You're going to face shit. I thought everybody loved their haters because it showed them that they was popping. It's easier than ever to get some haters now. And at that, if they're willing to have a conversation, have a conversation with them. But if not, if they just want to talk their shit, their two cents, you know, have it at that. People that really want to have an understanding of said subjects or, you know, see a different perspective will come to you if you let them. So when you have a clear stance, let them know. And lastly, or I'll give you two more. Share how you're taking action. Instagram is a great place to spread awareness of the subject, but true progressive 
activism of it takes me a donation and I, yeah, there's, there's, there's levels to the activism. You can do a donation and that's just supporting the cause of giving them money to giving larger organizations money to, you know, buy materials, do events, raise awareness on a larger scale for the issues that you, you know, issues that you are fighting against and the issues that you're fighting for. Then at the top of the, the food chain is actually going there in the battlefield yourself. I'm not saying go out there in the battlefield, you know. You could keep that on war zone all you like. But at least show a sincere dedication and involvement into what you believe in. And I think that will that will allow the people that see your posts or they follow your feed to believe more. And it's not just a simple, you know, repost if you believe in this or you're a pig, you're the swine of the earth. It shows that you actually, you really want to get other people involved. And in Klein, you you'll see some people who resonated with your efforts really try to come up and help. Also understand that mixed responses will come. You're, it's bound to happen, like I've said. And if you don't know how to handle it, learn how to handle it, especially if you have larger aspirations in life, because it's not going anywhere. You will always face criticism and praise. Never just one. Lastly, all I got to say, keep doing that work. If these problems arise again, you know, it's okay if after research and after consulting with other people, having discussions, your opinions can change a little bit. It's okay to let people know. Like I said, people get mixed responses. It's not meant, you know, life is not meant for you to remain firm and stagnant. Well, you're going to have doubts about some things. Especially after looking through it a dozen million times. You can start to see things differently after doing, you know, adequate research, looking through multiple articles. Don't look at just your local CNN or NBC Newsweek. Look through them all. Look through the left side of it. Look through the right side of it. Look through the center side of it. It's bound to change and be comfortable in that change because it's ultimately progress is progress, especially in the case of research. It's ultimately dependent on do you believe the progress was good? Do you believe it benefited your life or it was detrimental? to your growth and development. And with that said, man, I'm about to go back to a hyperbolic time chamber, come up with some new episodes for you guys. Like I said, I know I've been slacking. I'm on it. The gears are turning again. I'm ready to come back talking on the mic. As far as guests go, we'll see a couple soon. 
tune in. You'll see a couple within the next month. You'll see some returning faces. I'm sure these episodes will be a banger. You're going to love them. As always, if you like this episode, if you enjoyed something that I talked about, if it resonated with you a lot, you know, leave a review, share with a friend, go follow my Instagram page. I gave you guys my email in the beginning. I'll leave it in the description again. Come talk to me. Like, please share me your thoughts about what you think about this subject or that has to do with social media activism, Israel, Palestine, enlighten me. Like I said, I'm no historian. I'm just an engineer with a podcast mic and a dream. So without further ado, I'll catch you all in two weeks.